0: Welcome back everyone to Marketing Meets Web3. This is the third conversation in a four-part series about Web3 and loyalty marketing. In the first conversation, we introduced the series by covering some foundational Web3 concepts and discussed the opportunities for Web3 to enhance loyalty marketing. In the second conversation, we chatted with Drew Beachler from Holder, a Web3 CRM. And in that conversation, we discussed how Web3 creates new paths to customer data insights. Alberto, give us a preview of the conversation ahead.
1: Yeah, hello, Nick. So in this episode, we talk to Toby Russ from Redeem, a Web3 onboarding toolkit. This conversation will center on how digital asset ownership empowers customers to take control of their digital assets through a seamless onboarding experience. So this is going to be interesting. So we'll get on it. Hello, Toby. Hello, Nick. Welcome to Marketing Meets uh, Web3. Uh, Hi, Alberto.
2: Good morning. You're great to be with you guys.
1: I am very happy to have to, uh, to have you here, Toby. And uh, if you don't mind, could you uh, give us a little bit of an intro about uh, yourself and uh, your company?
2: Sure. Uh, name is Toby Rush, CEO and co-founder of Redeem. i serial entrepreneur. I love building kind of new experiences with uh, usually kind of pretty complex technology, but really try to simplify and make it easy for the user. So the current project that I'm working on is called Redeem. Um, and really what we've done is kind of built a, a Web3 platform that simplifies and accelerates the path to experience by linking a phone number, devices and wallets. Right? We're leveraging ex- existing infrastructure, being phone numbers and phones, user behaviors, again, what we do with our phones, kind of opening uh, the world to Web3 and everyone without having to educate anyone. So we always think kind of the idea of, hey, let's get straight to engagement. Um, skip the education. Right, let's get, get to the experience first. Um, you know, really fundamentally, like we, don't all, we don't know exactly what use cases or even uh, kind of what, um, you know, even what behaviors, honestly, at the end of the day are going to win. Um, but kind of our thesis is the phone is always going to be a part of that, no matter what that is. So we're trying to build kind of this infrastructure and a, uh, a, a, an API layer around a phone number of phones, easy onboarding and kind of wallets. And um, so, again, for brands and marketers and other merchants who are trying to engage consumers to make it as easy as holding
1: your phone. Thank you, Toby. I don't think we need uh, an intro from you, Nick. People already know you at this stage. But, uh, but yes. So uh, thank you, Toby, for this intro because it explains what we want to cover in today's conversation, which is uh, around um, web memberships for users. So maybe to, to begin, uh, we could start by, by defi- defining the, by the basics. So could you define what a customer owned experience means in the Web3 framework? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'll, I'll even take, take one
2: step back even from that. So the whole idea that one of the biggest ideas I get really excited about Web3 is the idea that individual people can own a little piece of data outside the traditional silos of what we've always typically known as, as big tech. Right. So, you know, today, Apple or Facebook or Google or um, even to some degree, Ticketmaster, or Visa or the government, they own so much of your data. And if you want to experience something or know anything about that data, you have to go back to those kind of they're the authoritative source, right? They're the owner of your data. And so therefore you can only participate and engage based on their rules and based on their infrastructure and based on um, oftentimes meaning going into their ecosystem to have any kind of experience. So Web3 and NFT specifically give us the ability to own or hold little pieces of data in an open ecosystem yet maintain absolute trust, right? So, you know, because data is infinitely copyable and pasteable, like how do I know You know, Nick owns ABC versus I own ABC because we can copy and paste that all day long. But that's exactly what NFTs and the blockchain provide for us. It provides trust in an open ecosystem um, where individuals can, again, can own a little piece of data that can unlock new experiences. So when we think about a customer owned experience, you got to start with customer owned data. Right. And so customer owned data is, again, very much kind of what NFTs and Web3 are all about. So I think as I think about a customer owned experience begins with this idea of being able to own a piece of my own data, typically uh, kind of packaged as an NFT that will then allow me to have a direct engagement with a number of different participants in a given ecosystem without being constrained by kind of a, a rigid or monolithic structure that you know typically the, the big companies have forced upon us.
1: Thank you. And Nick, do you want anything to say in there?
0: You know, I'll I'll add one thing, which is, uh, you know, I've been thinking about this quite a bit. What does it mean to own the experience as a customer? All right. We talk a lot about customer ownership in Web3, and we put this out there as a major benefit. But I think a lot of people coming to Web3 for the first time maybe traditional Web2 marketers or people that just aren't familiar with the tech, they look at the space and they say, well, what is the value of ownership? And what does that mean for my customers? What does that mean for my business? And if we we kind of roll back time a little bit and think about the way that branding works and think about the way that people collect pieces of a brand in the real world, you can go all the way back through time. I mean, simple things like bumper stickers, T-shirts, um, you know, anything that signifies I am a customer or I am a fan of something, people tend to have this collector activity. And when they collect things, that tends to show up as ownership. So, you know, fast forward to modern times and maybe you're, you're an iPhone person or you're an Android person. And in a way, you are showing your brand allegiance to Apple or Google. And that happens all across, you know, products and experiences. And so as marketers, I think it's important to think about this as an opportunity to evolve the experience or the behavior that's pretty natural for people today. People are already used to things like collecting parts of the experience, parts of the brands that they love. And digital ownership just takes it one step further and, to Toby, to your point, gives them a way to ba- basically externalize their allegiance or their fandom to the rest of the world in a way that can be recognized by people outside of these closed silos, these closed ecosystems. Um, so. Again, I think it's just kind of extending the way that humans work uh, naturally mm-hmm. when it comes to interacting with brands, interacting with businesses. And this is just another surface area that as marketers, we can start to play around with.
2: Yeah, Nick, and I would even kind of d- double down on that because I uh, totally agree. The idea of a user kind of uh, r- raising a flag or giving specific, hey, I am a fan of this, or I like this brand, or I'm, I like this sports team, or I like these things, um, and, and being able to express that in a digital fashion. Can be quite hard, right? So where, where would you store that data? Where do right. I store that I, I like the Kansas City Chiefs? Uh, that's actually a very difficult thing to store unless you um, went to Ticketmaster, or you saw me post on Facebook, or you, you have to go inside these various walled gardens to know that the changes, the, I like the Kansas City Chiefs.
0: Right. Absolutely. Yeah. And as, as another business who wants to recognize that you like the Kansas City Chiefs, how would you do that? Mm-hmm. Right. You have to right. advertise to you on Facebook. You have to find you in these ecosystems. So, mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Toby, could you connect the idea of uh, customer-owned experience with uh, another concept that comes up a lot, which is uh, the concept of the self-sovereign? Uh, could you connect these two, or differentiate the, both of them?
2: Yeah, so I think that the idea of so if you're going to own own something in an, an open ecosystem, it's like how do you own it? Right? How do I say I want to I possess this thing? Right? And so, you know, identity is, is typically something that um, each individual, we'll call it again, call these silos or these walled gardens have historically owned, right? So I go to Apple, I have an identity in Apple. I go to Google, Google has my identity. Facebook has my identity, a, a TikTok, and Meta, you know, like, na- name your entity. Um, but to take that and then go outside those ecosystems, just like because data has to live outside the ecosystem, how does a user identify themselves outside the ecosystem in a way that's one, both convenient and and really secure. So this idea of a self-sovereign is I need to be able to claim ownership to these things. The tradition that's a wallet, right? Um, but then have a way for me to basically uh, claim ownership of a, a, a grouping of data uh, of assets, right? Of these entities. So being able to have sovereignty over my identity in these open ecosystems, one that I can I can own and control, but also that is easy for me to um, kind of at- what's called at- attestation. I can attest that this is really me. I actually own this wallet, therefore I own these NFTs, which kind of uh, speak to my preferences and fan base.
0: And and you can do that without the assistance or the requirement of a third party. You mm-hmm. can wander around the digital <laughs> the digital world, and you can to your point, you can attest to your own identity.
1: We have the um, asset ownership and the customer-owned experience connected to the self-sovereign identity of users. How how does this, um, in your opinion, yeah. I would like to hear both of you here, how, how does this improve the, the user experience of the, um, of the customer or the audience?
0: Sure. <laughs> so I, I come from a UX background, so I think about this aspect quite a bit. Um, today, when we talk about personalization, uh we, we talk about using data that a platform has acquired by interacting with us somehow. And usually that's through you know, to be honest and to be very candid, it's it's through harvesting our data, right? We interact with platforms, we interact with social media, and our data is harvested and profiles are built against that data, and then that data is used to try to personalize our experience. However, because of data compliance regulations, things like GDPR, things like CCPA the extent to which we can customize an experience has uh, changed over time. And so we have less and less ability to finely tune that experience for an individual because of privacy concerns. And for the consumer, that's a good thing. It means that our data isn't being used without our consent. It means that our data isn't being used um, to target us in ways that we just don't want to be targeted, you know, it's creepy to be followed around the internet uh, when we didn't ask for that. Um, But it also, as marketers, takes away our our ability to really dial in our targeting and really find customers that uh, align with our value proposition and that, you know, could really actually benefit from our services and the value that we provide. What digital collectibles do, what NFTs do, and what Web3 does really well is it gives us a new way to identify people out in the digital wild. So to Toby, Toby, to your earlier point of being a Kansas City Chiefs fan, there are probably many things in your life that you're a fan of or you're involved in. And there are ways that through collecting digital items that becomes your profile. But what's different this time around versus targeting you using advertising platforms, for instance, is that you get to raise your hand as a consumer and you say, yeah, I want to opt into that. Because there's some value exchange and now you can have a direct relationship with the marketer that's trying to reach you and all of that money, the time, the resources that's going into the ad platforms to find you can actually be re- redirected towards delivering some additional value to you. So instead of paying the ad platform, why not just directly incentivize Toby uh, because we know that he's a Kansas City Chief fan and if he wants to opt into that, great, then he can. Because it's his stuff, he owns his identity. Mm-hmm. If he wants to opt out, he can do that too. Um, so it's an interesting new way, I think, to think about targeting and think about interacting with people in a much more personalized way.
2: Yeah, I mean, kind of the question around, hey, how does owning your own data, owning your identity kind of enhance and improve the user experience? So, you know, I'm a big believer in this idea of kind of the, the creativity or, and composability around free markets and, and open ecosystems um, is always surprising. Right. And so I think we've gotten a little bit, you know, so used to, I mean, really, there's five or six companies in the world that tell us what we can do and what we should like and how we should experience things. And, um, you know, those being, again, the, the the big tech companies, the big tech platforms, when I can, again, experience uh, brands, fans, uh, each other, uh, athletes, athletes. Um, you know so many of these things in an open ecosystem i think the creativity is going to go off the off you know go crazy because we have just so much more many ways that we can now engage with given consumers and do it collaboratively with other brands or athletes or influencers um or just other fans that that are out the ecosystem so i think the uh, the experience is going to be net new um i think a lot of stuff that nick said agree of um, you know, rather than pay a lot of the big tech companies to harvest data, to try to figure out what you might like. Um, they're going to be able to engage much more directly with us by things that we've specifically opted into. Right. Um, so it gives me both a level of control um, a, a much stronger sense of kind of what I like, who I like, <clears throat> how I want to be engaged. Um, but again, I think I get excited, I think it's going to be super creative, right? We're, we're, we're not depending on five or six companies to tell us, what we should like and how we should, what we should read and what's important. Um, But we get uh, just, again, I think more of a a composable and a creative experience.
0: That's a really great point, the, the composability aspect, because you think about today, you know, on platforms, there's only so much that you can do as a creator or as a participant. You think about TikTok, you know, you can create TikToks, you can remix things, you can pull in little bits and pieces, but it's all within the rule set of TikTok. And so when we get into a world where people are creating and owning things in an open ecosystem, it just becomes much more fluid. And Toby, to your point, I think that just blows the doors open for new sort of interoperability, new creative experiences. I think it's going to be a really sort of a renaissance period for digital experiences.
1: We've talked about how customer-owned experiences and uh, uh, self-sovereign identities don't exist right now. because uh, most of this data is uh, with a few different companies. We've talked about this. Um, maybe we can take a minute to, to talk about or to discuss um, why is this the case? What is the value for the user to go outside of this, uh, to go to a world where they own their own um, assets and their own they own their own identity? And how high is the friction to go from the mm-hmm. world we are in today to this other new world?
2: Yeah, so I think the, the benefit uh, is, again, I think it is going to be a surprise and delight. Like we're going to get the creativity of thousands of companies, kind of not the rules of five. Um, so I do think there's going to be a, uh, just a, a new level of engagement, um, a new way from whether I'm shopping or whether I'm uh, enjoying uh, engagement. I think it's the collaboration of, hey, I, I bought something. Um, you know, about, we have talking a little bit about kind of a pair of Nike shoes, but they can show up in an EA sports game. Um, I went to a Chiefs game and so it shows up in some other experience that I'm having. So I think the collaborative nature is something that we haven't really seen yet. So I do think there is going to be a much more personalized and direct experience. That a consumer is going to be able to to have with the brand, and the brand is going to be able to again, uh, you might say, incentivize me in much more direct ways. So rather than go through the platforms or go through these other um, intermediaries, they're going to be have a direct line of communication in a way to activate, incentivize me. Um, I think the the friction point is really high right now. Like we're asking people to not just change behavior; we're asking for like almost an entirely new mental model, right? Which is I think one of the challenges. Like, wait, that not only is it uh, you know, a different user behavior. Like, wait, I own my own data. Like, what does that mean, and how does that work? And so, you know, an, an old adage we have, like kind of the technology, we're like, user behavior change is hard, like really, really hard. Mental model changes is again kind of another step level above that. Um, it's kind of specifically one of the things that we're trying to do at Redeem is kind of be the bridge, kind of between those. Right? So the idea of uh, like we all have this global unique identifier that we have with us all the time as being our phone number. It's bound very tightly to this device that we have with us, who's also very, very secure, right? And so can we use kind of the possession of the phone and this phone number as a way to, to kind of unlock kind of the self-sovereign identity, to unlock this connection into these blockchain wallets, but to a consumer it's like, oh, it's just, it's my phone. Like I, I understand my phone. I understand it's unique. Um, I understand how to do biometrics. There's no new behavior there. So trying to take these existing behaviors, but link them to a different set of capabilities that they can go direct to experience, right? So we're not teaching them, hey, go download this new thing, go come up with these 12 different, um, you know, passphrases that you have to write down somewhere because, hey, this is really important. Um, So can we be a little bit of a bridge? We, you know, as Redeem, we have a foot in each camp, right? We're using the familiar of a phone number and phone, but then a foot in the other camp of kind of this web three blockchain world of composable and open ecosystem engagements.
1: What do you think, Nick, about the, the friction and the value for users? Do you think um, the value is enough to overcome the friction?
0: Well, first off, I totally agree with Toby in terms of where we are today. I think the we, we've set a really high bar for people. And this is something that happens with emerging technology. We always kind of see this pattern where the early stuff is always hard and it's actually designed for the hardcore technologists, the early adopters. It's rarely a great uh, user experience, and then that evolves over time. I think what generally drives that evolution is the incentive on the other side, and you know, creating an incentive on the other side that makes sense for the masses is what we're what we haven't found yet in Web three, but is in my view inevitable. I think we will hit that tipping point. You know, with uh, mobile devices, text messaging. That was the original killer app, right? It it unlocked Mm -hmm. people's ability to think about a device not as a technology gadget, but as a way to communicate with the wider world. And so when digital collectible ownership or being able to prove your own identity on the web becomes something that is no longer a novelty, but is actually a primary way that we receive value, and that could be, you know, we don't know what that what's going to drive that change. This could be something... Uh, completely unexpected you know meta recently has been talking about um this uh, this kind of open environment where they have this thing called the fediverse um and they've talked about this with with uh, their threads product which is similar to twitter now x so many changes (laughs) um you know a, a big company like that could uh you know, they have the user base, they have the muscle to be able to say, you know what, we're going to embrace open ecosystems. And now consumers are looking at something like self-sovereign identity and owning digital items as a real value add, you know, because that's contributing to their everyday sort of social experiences. Um, so I don't think we've, we don't have that yet. I think we're all pushing and looking for ways to make the experience better. Toby, obviously companies like Redeem are, you know, at the forefront of that, thinking about ways to bring this back down to, I think you told me in person once, you know, the grandma test. <laughs> Can you put this yeah. in front of your grandma and get her all the way through the flow? And I think that that really should be the bar that we're all we're all chasing. Um, so not there, but I'm I'm definitely hopeful that uh, that's not too far away for us. I think it's it's closer than we actually think
1: we are not there but um well there are some companies that have already started to implement some of this and make this some of the, and make some of this simple for the user and maybe we can talk about um a couple of examples where customer owned experiences uh, have been successfully implemented yeah, I mean, I
2: think probably one of the more popular ones and successful ones really what Nike has done with Swoosh, um, you know, kind of the ability for someone to come and say, hey, I'm a Nike fan. Um, you know, I, I wear Nikes. I, I like the Swoosh. I like these particular shoes. Um, and, you know, Nike's one of those interesting they're both they're an iconic brand. They're not really a luxury brand, but they're kind of a high-end brand, but yet they're they're accessible to everybody, right? So they really do sit in a, in a fascinating place and they do such an amazing job kind of with their brand and being thoughtful about how do they, how can they engage directly with the consumer that bought one of their pairs of shoes, right? Whether they bought it through a, a retail store or online or through Amazon or kind of wherever it is, like they, they would love to have that direct connection with the user and through Nike swoosh, they're able to do that, but it didn't just stop with, hey, we want to be able to connect directly with my users. They've really, again, kind of leading the, the, the charge in some of these creativity, say, hey, how do I partner with other brands, other experiences um, where we can kind of make these connections, right? So they recently announced uh, a big partnership with um, uh, with EA, kind of uh, the, the uh, sports and gaming, right? So how do I then... You know, because I have this digital representation, this digital banner or flag or bumper sticker, as I think as Nick earlier said, I've got a digital bumper sticker that says I like Nike, and so therefore, when I go into um, some of these EA games, um, I can wear my Nikes, right? So it's a it's a form of self expression, right? So I have um, bought the the digital version of the bumper sticker of Nike, um, or like I open on my laptop, or I put on kind of whatever I used to put on, and I have a digital version of that. So therefore, when I show up in the digital world. I can bring that preference with me. I can bring my my fandom with me, um, and just, they do such a great job of kind of uh, engaging consumers' um, passion, and then kind of helping them again be composable and collaborative. Um, I think we're just seeing the beginning of that.
1: There was uh, another example that, that we came across uh, recently, which is one from the the, um, the US Women's um, Open, the Gulf right. Open, right? Uh, mm-hmm. And that, that was an interesting uh, example of this. And uh, maybe, maybe Nick, do you want to share some knowledge about this? Uh, I know you followed it, mm-hmm. and uh, we discussed it in the past.
0: I did follow it and I own, I own two of these, two of these items. Um, so this is a project <laughs> <laughs> from Artball. It was a collaboration between the U.S. Women's Open and Artball. Artball also collaborated with the Australian Open last year. So this is sort of the second iteration of their technology and the experience that they're working on. Um, the way this worked, um, very high level is that they took a, t- they, they used technology to basically overlay a grid on top of the 17th hole at the U.S. Women's Open. And throughout the tournament, whenever a ball would land on a particular spot on the 17th hole, that corresponded with a token in their collection of art balls. So these all th- these uh, art balls all started as sort of plain white golf balls. And then as the tournament play evolved and these balls started hitting and rolling across these different grids, it created uh, or it triggered this generative art that got painted on the art ball. And so if you were holding one of the art balls, your art ball changed. So I, I bought an art ball, and then it came back later, and it actually changed. And now it's covered in art, and it's got this paint job on it, um, as well as some metadata that kind of reflects what happened in the gameplay. And what's really cool about that is – you know kind of similar to gaming where we're taking experiences and we're starting to play with things like composability and how do we pull you know this experience into that experience and and bring these things together um artball is looking at a way to kind of merge the the fan and the player and bring that together in a digital collectible so that as a fan i'm not just passively watching a sport i'm actually participating because now i have this i own an item that memorializes what happened on on the on the course that day, um, I have a little bit more connection to that because I own this thing, and that's kind of my moment in time um, that I can share with the athlete that I'm following. So, pretty cool experimentation happening there, and I think we're going to see more and more of these experiences where you're taking one aspect of an experience and another aspect mm-hmm. of an experience, and you're blending them together and bringing that together in a collectible that a consumer can collect or can own.
2: One of the things I love about that example, Nick, is we've gone, we started with a digital, it was impacted by the physical, right? And so now you have this digital kind of physical kind of combination, but then again, be able to take that into another metaverse or kind of a completely other experience of, you know, we've really been able to blend kind of the the physical, the digital um, ownership, metaverse, kind of all these different places that we want to engage. And when data can flow freely, I think we're going to see a lot more of super creative, fun fun examples of use cases where, you know, uh, yeah, I, I think it's going to be a, a fun period over the next couple of years. Absolutely.
1: This uh, flow of data that you just t- talked about, uh, Toby, brings me to another aspect of uh, Web3 that I think it's interesting to, to touch on, which is uh, um, how, how Web3 technologies can uh, help in the interactions between customers and brands, making these more transparent. Uh, do you think this is um, interesting and this could bring value to, the, um, to users and brands? You know, honestly, this is
2: one of the areas where I feel like we, we've still got a lot of learning and growing to do Because I think people like data being on chain, but we also like some level of privacy. And so how do we make it easy? So we love the idea of, hey, a user needs their own data. Great, love it. How does a user then give permission to various people to see different things in exchange for value? Right. So at a high level, that's a great message. Like, of course, like it's user data. Um, If a company wants to use that data or engage that data or give something a value, whether it's simply an experience or some sort of uh, benefit or a problem, that's awesome. Doing that in a way that grandma can understand is really hard. Um, And I'd say we've got a lot of learning and growing to do in that. Um, So I think as a an ideal and a goal, uh, we have the infrastructure to allow that. Um, I think we've really got to think deeply and hard about how do you make it easy for, you know, the, the, the non-technical person to figure this out? Like, have you ever gone into, I mean, some of these big platforms like Google or Facebook, like go in and understand Google's privacy settings. Holy smokes. We talk about menu after menu after menu. mean, you get down into like literally like the 10th rung of, uh, of menu hell, um, trying to figure out, OK, what, what part is this doing? Um, And you got to be really technical to understand that. So um, I love the ability, the idea of, you know, how do we allow for more data transparency, value exchange, uh, more direct value exchange. Um, But this is one of the areas as an industry, we're going to have to really think deeply about mental models and user behaviors um, to make it easy for grandma.
0: I completely agree with that. And I think, you know, also looking at the past, taking a cue from what's happened with social media, um, using that as a reference point of, you know, maybe some lessons we don't want to repeat with data privacy and using that as input for the policies, the frameworks, the best practices that that usher in this next phase of the Internet.
1: I think we just covered one of uh, the big challenges, but uh, I wonder if uh, there are more challenges for any marketer who's listening to this and who's seeing the value that Web3 could bring and is thinking, well, OK, I see, I see the value, but... Um, There are also some challenges that I need to go through. Uh, Which uh, other challenges do you think, um, Toby, are relevant for marketers today who want to prevent this?
2: Yeah, you know, uh, just like we're asking users to engage in a new mental model, we've got to ask marketers to do the same thing, right? This is a new mental model that they have. Um, Just trying to do the same thing we've done in Web 2 and Web 3 is like, why do Web 3? I mean, like, um, I would say force them to really think about can I do something in Web3 that I could not do in Web2, right? And so I think the challenge that so many marketers have is, again, we've kind of grown up knowing the the sky is blue and the water's wet. And, well, that is still true in these certain areas. How do we, again, bend the reality around um, to offer different experiences? So I think there is still friction. There's going to continue to be friction in the Web3 world. The use cases that we're working on, they're okay, but we've got to do a lot better. Like we've got to be more compelling on the value at the end of that. Uh, on the other side of the friction, right? Because again, we're, yes, we're going to work on friction. We're going to make it better. Uh, but you also have to make the the reward on the other side um, of kind of whatever that engagement is. So you know, where I would think the challenge for a lot of marketers is thinking outside the box, uh, thinking a little bit differently. Or um, sort of what are these experiences that I can deliver, leveraging open ecosystems, open uh, open data, and then collaboratively. Right. Historically, so so many marketers think, "Okay, what can I do with my users? Um, What can we do with our users? Um, Far more interesting and far more fun. But we have to think different. Um, Just like we're asking our users to engage differently. We have to ask our marketers to think differently.
0: Yeah. And and building on thinking differently, uh, Toby completely agree. We need to dig in uh, deeply with this stuff. Toby and I actually met through uh, a marketing group called Jump. Uh, it's an organization or a group, it's a community, really, that has come together around the idea of Web3 and marketing and is really uh, leaning into each other to you know, self-educate, to experiment together, to collaborate. And one of the challenges that I think we hear over and over again is education, How do I take this back to my organization? How do I explain this, number one? And how do I get organizational buy-in to start trying some things to make sure that we're not left behind? Because I think a lot of marketers, and rightly so, are afraid that Web3, it's it's becoming a thing. And more and more people are talking about this. And we see these big brands that are running these experiments. I mean, Starbucks and their Odyssey program, that's a pretty major thing. And I think some marketers now are starting to feel like if they don't dig in, they're going to get left behind. The same thing that happened with social media when people didn't take social media seriously. And so Mm -hmm. I think on the education side of things, you know, really leaning into the community and finding thought partners, finding collaborators and finding ways that you can get involved as a marketer, um, really just to get your hands around this stuff first. You know, I think, Toby, to your point about mental models it's a challenge at an individual level first that we have to solve for. We have to kind of you know, let this stuff soak in um, and become ingrained in the way that we think about interacting with our customers, our fans. And then we can turn that around to the organization and explain it and build strategy around it and build something that works with our entire marketing program um, and doesn't feel like just a, a one-off experiment. So lots of education ahead.
1: I want to be conscious of your time, Toby. If uh, if I may, I can I ask you for a thirty seconds take on uh, how you see the future playing if everything that we have discussed comes to pass.
2: <laughs> the future, uh, man, I'm not that creative. I I I don't think I can actually imagine it. Um, I think the future, again, looks a lot more collaborative. Um, and, and how we engage with it. So it's not a not just a one-to-one engagement. So I, I think the the future and the, the big unlock that I think Web3 allows is for multiple brands, multiple entities to engage with me and others in a simultaneous fashion. Um, and you're going to see, you know, it's not it's not generative art, it's, it's generative experiences, right? So like we, we get to participate um, and influence what the experience is, how that looks like um, without the constraints of, Again, uh, you know, some of the bigger platforms that have come before. Um, yeah, so I, I think it's dynamic, it's composable, uh, and it's kind of, it's open-ended.
1: Toby and Nick Casares, <laughs> thank you all for being here today. Thanks for having us. We hope you enjoyed this conversation. In the next one, we will be talking about how Web3 communities are redefining brand co-creation. To listen to the entire four-part series, visit step.io. You'll find a link down below. And uh, one last thing. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider giving it a like or a share. It does help.